everyone, and welcome to the TechTrends podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Mose, the Director of Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarco, Technology Analyst. What's up, Ben? Steve, I'm excited for Thanksgiving. It's going to be great. You know, you know me too. Um, going to Virginia Beach for Thanksgiving this year. Um, I, I hate beaches, <laughs> and, I, and I don't like Virginia Beach, but I always have a fun time when I go down there. That's a shame. Virginia Beach is my favorite beach. <laughs> Is it really? <laughs> I mean, I, I like I the was, quality. I was spoiled. I was spoiled at a very young age, and my, I think uh, Christmas in the year two thousand, uh, my parents took my sister and I to Hawaii for yeah. Christmas, specifically yeah. the island of Kauai, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was incredible. Yeah, and that's where no beach will ever hold up to that. That's where we went for our honeymoon. We spent uh, ten days in Kauai, and nice. It's funny because uh, the north north east one of the northern section it's so rough that you can't drive around the, the entire island you actually have to stop and then go back around so if you're a part way and you're <laughs> running low on gas you can't circle the entire island so that's fun yeah so uh i'm going to my parents house they live close by for uh, thanksgiving and uh you know thanksgiving is interesting we've had a, a mix of foods so someone someone does make a very very large turkey and there's so much left over that i regret um I regret turkey growing up in that environment that I'm not too interested in turkey in general. It's right. like a, it's a lower grade meat in general. Um, so it's big, it's big, it's massive. It's way, it's way too much. It's a wasteful. I, I don't like the 30 pound turkeys that are being sold. You know, half of it's going to be wasted. The best Thanksgiving dinner I ever had. And I feel terrible saying this because my family, they're, they're amazing cooks right. when it comes to, making the Thanksgiving dinner, like the mashed potatoes are always on point. Um, but, uh, my, um, my aunt can make the best gravy. Oh, that's and good. she told me that the secret ingredient to it is she puts Jim Beam in it. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like it is seriously the best gravy growing up. It, I, I hated mushrooms. Mm. The only time I felt mushrooms were ever acceptable was once a year at Thanksgiving in the gravy. Um, <laughs> That's another but, uh, conflict you and I have. Cause I love mushrooms. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the one, uh, one year, my, something happened. Uh, my mom was supposed to host it and, and my mom doesn't think she's a good cook and she gets really stressed out and, and sometimes screws things up because she's stressed, not because she's a bad cook. Um, and Something happened and she was just like, so the next year she was like, I'm catering it. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not even fiddling with making anything. I'm doing catering. And no joke. We had a Cajun Thanksgiving dinner, like a fr- a spicy fried Turkey um, shipped from uh, Louisiana. Wow. I, I kid you not. It like showed up the morning of Thanksgiving That's amazing. in a big styrofoam box with dry ice in it and all the instructions of what to do with each dish. And the, the Turkey just needs to go in the, uh, the Turkey was actually warm. It was not <laughs> in the same box as like right. the, 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 the cold stuff, but it was already warm. They were just like, put it in the oven as soon as possible to keep it warm. And it was the best a deep fried spicy Turkey. That Cajun Turkey is the only way to have Turkey. But that was incredible. My mom actually ordered that meal from a Neiman Marcus. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing ever. Like, 
that whole sentence is so just, bougie and you can get Thanksgiving dinner from <laughs> I think Popeyes used to do Thanksgiving um dinners. I have to they investigate still do. that out. So I, I went to Popeyes last week and somebody came in and was like, Oh, I don't want to order anything, but where how do I order a turkey for Thanksgiving? And they handed the guy an application. Whoa. Of, you got to fill out some forms to get <laughs> to get a turkey, apparently. That's amazing. And it's uh, really cool. I think one thing uh Deep and I had um a couple of Thanksgiving, just us. Um, and we had competing chickens. So we actually bought two small chickens. And, um, I think I did like a lemon, um, uh, lemon seasoning. Uh, and then Deepa did like more of a Indian spicy, um, chicken, uh, and kind of competing, uh, back and forth. So I think, I think we'll, we may try that. Uh, we'll see. There's going to be a lot of leftovers too. Cause my mom makes ton of Indian food. So I think we'll be eating that the next couple of days uh, after Thanksgiving in addition yeah. to, leftover turkey which i'm not excited for (laughs) in college it was it was wasn't until college when i realized one of my roommates um was like yeah turkey isn't the star of thanksgiving it's the macaroni and cheese and i'm like i grew up in the wrong family (laughs) that's that's (laughs) That's a good call i've i've never my family's never put macaroni and cheese on the table oh man anyway um, I want to transition to something kind of fun. Definitely. Um, so I've been talking with Russ back and forth a few times. Russ, the uh, the technical managing director, the managing director of MT Connect at AMT. Yep. And every now and then he used to. Well, about a year back, he emailed me. Oh, hey, by the way, like uh, six months ago, um, we got a lot of downloads from SpaceX and. I also found on my RSS feed of MT Connect throughout the internet um, that uh, there is a German a, a German Formula One team was looking to fill a position, um, and they requested a somebody with manufacturing experience, specifically um, uh, with experience using MT Connect. That's cool. Or, or MT Connect enabled machines. Right. And basically we've had like a back and forth slowly for about a year. And I, I finally got out of Russ. It's like, dude, I need this stuff. I need to know this as soon as it happens. So I can tell the rest of the world, or at least I can tell people who are listening. And so basically he's, he's agreed to start feeding me all of the exciting companies that have gone to mtconnect.org and started downloading the, the standard. So in the past two weeks, the com- latest companies of note are, um, where are they? I clearly opened up the wrong thing. <laughs> there we go. So of the past two weeks um, in motorsports, a company called Shift Tech. That's cool. Has a number of MT Connect downloads, um, as well as an HVAC company, HVAC company that everybody knows. They never think about this company, but everybody knows Train. Mm-hmm. Um the next company being um, SKF, a bearing manufacturer. Yep. And lastly, uh, and the most exciting one for me, Cartier. Yep. Now let's go back to the top. Shift Tech. Shift Tech is a motorsports company that doesn't make the cars, but they make specific components for for braking technology, and um, their name Shift Tech. So probably controllers and and hydraulic manifolds for shifting sequential transmissions on race cars. So 
they're probably doing um, using five axis CNC mills to uh, uh, produce hydraulic manifolds sure. for these components like ABS units and, and, and transmission. So that's kind of cool. HVAC um, with train. I don't know what they're doing. We have to start following mm-hmm. train, I guess, to see what <laughs> they're getting into, but, or, you know, maybe they're not doing anything exciting other than keeping people cool during the summer, but, um, <laughs> well, they could be doing a lot of things, right? So not only just component manufacturing, they could but be, assembly. And, 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 but what I'm saying is they might not be doing like, like, research and development right. but they could be ramping up production yep. in which case mt connect would be a perfect use for that yeah yeah just tracking that much manufacturing skf bearing manufacturer you know when we're talking about precision you want to be able to track as much data as you can not necessarily but you want to be able to track your data um because bearings are a precision component but cartier <laughs> cartier is exciting to me yeah because you know we all think of them as like a jewelry manufacturer right and making diamond rings and perfume but um cartier's also made always made watches yep um and within the past five to ten years they have moved their watch production from outsourcing components Mm -hmm. to going in-house and now it seems that they're taking going in-house seriously and they want to get their manufacturing on point, which is why they would want to use something like MT Connect and are probably ramping up their manufacturing. So they've gone from a outsourced company, meaning they would buy like watch movements, the intricate internal components of a mechanical watch made by somebody else to making their own stuff under the same roof that, you know, they're setting diamonds right. into rings and stuff like that. So it's, it's really exciting. And uh, I'm glad Russ is keeping me up to speed on which of these not necessarily sponsor, not sponsor companies and certainly not AMT member companies because they're none of these people are making manufacturing technology, but it's good to see companies that we know right. and potentially use on a regular basis using not just manufacturing technology, but one of our primary products here at AMT. So that's and, kind of fun. And it's cool to see the diversity of uh, the companies implementing, yeah. you know, digital manufacturing tools. So, you know, you have from motorsports to intricate watches AC, <laughs> and AC yeah. to luxury watches. That's, that's awesome. And, and I do, I am interested in to see what train is uh, doing. You know, are they doing assemblies? Yeah. Are they doing components? Um, you know, maybe they're just, uh, managing inventory better or something like that but i'm right. definitely worth a deep dive right That's- and i'm actually glad you mentioned the diversity because of those four companies i listed the only one that makes sense that like we talk about or at least are related to on a daily basis is probably skf bearings but i love ball bearings so i'm not going to give that you're a ball- roller bearings. you're a bearing kind of guy <laughs> I love bearings, dude. Let's get a smart. It, it came, came from came from middle school. Yeah, skateboarding. Uh. <laughs> the bearings were what made your board fast. It was the quality of your bearings. Okay, I'll remember that. Seriously, it's it's, it's a weird thing, and you would dip them in gasoline to clean all the gunk <laughs> off, and you get a little, you get less res- rolling resistance because you clean the gasoline right. cleans out all the grease, but then they won't last as long. Yeah, but. It doesn't matter. It was fun. Now that you mentioned that, I was thinking about all the uh, dangerous chemicals I used as a kid, just because. <laughs> Probably shouldn't be doing uh, bearing cleaning with the gasoline as a child, but. Dude, when I found out you could clean stuff with gasoline. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised I didn't blow an arm off. 
I'll share a story where I think I was uh, middle school and my brother's, you know, five years older than me. And uh, we got a um, portable gas canister on fire. <laughs> I'll share that story with you sometime. <laughs> like a jerry can? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Definitely a story for another time. Uh, let's get into some articles, man. I was uh, researching some stuff on uh, Unity. So uh, Unity is a, a, a platform software used heavily on uh, 3D content generation. So video games, movies, uh, their their core expertise is real-time 3D uh, content. So um, generating the, uh, like in a video game, right? So you're playing a video game, all that 3D content is being generated real-time. Even in the cutscenes, some of that co- content is generated real-time. And the connection to manufacturing is they're looking at simulations. So they're, you know, they've been around since 2005 and, their um you know core development was obviously um you know video game and 3d content generation but now uh in the past couple of years i've seen a lot of say universities look at i have this I have the, this data how do i visualize it so there's a kind of disconnect of how humans can um, infer information and just looking at ones and zeros and tables doesn't get you that far so now the idea of taking um you know manufacturing data or um, data off a floor and visually representing it. That was kind of the first uh, instances I've seen Unity being used. So they'll model, say, um, a machine tool or a manufacturing floor and get real-time data on position location and feed that into Unity so they can get a visual representation of what's happening semi-real-time. And Unity is pushing that significantly further. So what they're looking to do is uh, have a specific suite of products that that are explicitly for simulating um, just about everything, right? So they want to simulate uh, here. And the the article talks about um, being able to simulate robotic systems in an outdoor or indoor environment. So if you have an AGV or a warehouse robot and you're exploring, you you don't want to um, go full in and see what the capabilities are. You have the ability to, say, model as much as you can on your warehouse and then model your AGV and use the the tools built in for the AGV and see, can it get from point A to point B? You know, where are your constraints? Uh, And we've talked about simulations in the past of, you know, before I invest in physical equipment, which is very expensive, can I prove that this system will work? So um, I I found it very, very interesting that, you know, they're taking a significant step on um, uh, mission planning, collaborative mapping, all for robotic systems, you know, both on the single arm robots and right. uh, AGVs. Um, and, you know, they're even looking at simulating like LIDAR equipment, walking robots, off, off, uh, off-road robots. So not only the robot itself, but the decision-making process within the robots they're trying to, they're working to simulate. So it's, it's absolutely fascinating that, you know, we've, we've come to a state where we're able to migrate these advanced tools for um, gaming that are very applicable, right? So, it's amazing that you know the art of simulation is is significantly valuable to understand where your problems are before you get in the situation so i thought i thought this is absolutely amazing to uh, see this uh, transition it's crazy like you mentioned video games it's crazy to see stuff that you know we like these game engines now this is a much recent more recent and developed development of these game engines but it's crazy to see you know, what used to be just an environmental 3D, three-dimensional engine for video games 
it started expanding out to movies with movies like Avatar using, I forget either Unity or Unreal. It doesn't matter. They're all like the same, just depends what brand you want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, to, you know, manufacturing. We've come right. all the, this far. It's, it's, it's funny that this, you know, typically technologies trickle down from manufacturing into other industries and this is a trickle up. Yeah. It's cool. Like, I wonder how long is it going to be? And this is, this is an incredibly dumb question, but I wonder how long it's going to be before either what I, I I'm predicting one thing's going to happen or the other. And it's when is Autodesk going to come out with their own engine <laughs> Sure. or when Will Autodesk bend the knee? Not <laughs> bend the knee, but when will Autodesk start using somebody else's engine? Like when you're loading up Fusion 360 and it says like in the lower right hand corner, powered by Unity or something like that. Or, you well, know, more realistically, because I don't think Autodesk would ever do anything like that. When is Autodesk going to have their own engine? Uh, if they, they don't already. They do already. So uh they do have their own 3D engine, and you'll see that um I forgot you're the name. Right, they do. How dumb of me. See, I told you it was dumb. <laughs> well, you're looking for future state and it's already achieved. Congratulations, Steve. Nice. We did it. <laughs> we did it. So well, there are two things also. Yeah, and I've seen robotics also used heavily in movie industry. So um being able to replicate a shot or putting cameras in very harsh conditions. So a lot of times you'll see um like a comp a composite of several shots overlaid each other and they're using robotic arms and uh, motion tracking systems to basically reproduce that shot five or six times. And then they'll, uh, you know, cut those into layers. And I think, you know, using the unity engine there, one of the early issues that they ran into is trying to program the path for these and simulate that. So they make sure that, you know, everyone else around you wouldn't die from this robotic camera flinging around. So that was one of the early use cases I've seen a couple of years ago. So I thought it was fascinating. You got an article on uh, 3D printing emissions? Yes. The EPA cracking down. Actually, I don't think EPA is mentioned in this article at all. (laughs) But uh, 3dprintingindustry.com publishes and published an article. BOFA published. (laughs) They published an article saying that this company, BOFA, publishes a research paper on the impact of 3D printing emissions. Now, you and I, it wasn't the last episode. It may have been the episode before or maybe even before that, mm-hmm. that we, you know, beat to death like a dead horse. Um, uh, the emissions, the potential emissions for and, and waste, for that matter, of 3D printing and additive manufacturing. And of course, you know, it's that's vastly different between uh, consumer and industrial, meaning, you know, kids who have a 3D printer are going to do print, print nothing but trash. <laughs> And maybe even never print a successful part. Sure. Maybe it's successful in their eyes, but you know, as for industrial, they're probably on uh, an industrial company, the manufacturing company. They're only probably, they're probably only going to print something that is perfect and not click print until it, the part is exactly how they want it to be. And they know it's going to come out perfectly. Right. So, but anyway, what I've been trying to say is, they, we've been talking about uh, a little in a previous episode on the emissions potential and, and waste potential for additive manufacturing. And sure enough, a couple episodes later, a company, this company, BOFA uh, International, or I like to call them BOFA, uh, 
has has in fact released a research paper. Now we did a little bit of diving earlier, and we did find out that um, uh, BOFA International does manufacture and produce uh, their, their primary products are air cleaning devices for industrial facilities. Right. So they're a little bit biased, but then again, everybody has to do research to develop their own product even further. So it's, I'd say that they're not really biased, but it, <laughs> no, no kidding that they've got uh, intentions behind this research paper. And it'll be interesting to uh, see what they say once I actually read it. <laughs> and it's interesting see you know i actually there's been a lot of environmental talk recently um i ran across an article f- um from the epa actually that they're releasing a new s- national strategy on transforming recycling so i thought it very interesting that um as uh it, it, you know recycling is fairly complex for me because you know, every time i go somewhere like we travel a lot and i'm always interested in minimizing my uh environmental footprint so i try to recycle as much as i can but you know if you go one place they'll recycle this piece of plastic or you go another place that you can't recycle that so it's it's very confusing to me and i i think uh some other article that i ran across called it wish wish cycling where i hope they recycle this and i just put as much as i can in a recycling bin right. hoping for the best and it's a huge problem it's 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 a problem for me because i don't want to think about it i don't want to know this place doesn't recycle and that place recycle i want everything other than uh, stuff that breaks down easily. I want all that stuff to be recycled. Uh, so I, th- I find this interesting and, you know, the applicability to manufacturing is fairly interesting where they're looking at, um, creating more of a circular, uh, ecosystem when, you know, traditional, um, uh, manufacturing, I think it's pretty close actually. You know, if you look at, um, you know, uh, chips coming off a, uh, uh, subtractive manufacturing equipment, uh, particularly metal, a lot of that gets sent back for recycling, right? You have to, you do have to separate a lot, but there's a lot in uh, manufacturing that um, is wasted, you know, it still makes it the landfill. And I think the new EPA uh, strategy may start trickling down into affecting manufacturers um, uh, regularly. So I, I think it's something to be aware of. Um, yeah. So, but I, I think it's, it it's the right step. It's for, I, I, you know, <laughs> I feel bad that I hate the EPA so much. I don't actually hate them. I know that they mean well. Right. And they're doing the best they can. If they can keep politics out of it, they're doing the best they can. But, uh, oh, my God, when I hear about, like, another regulation or, <laughs> you know, when when the next generation of car, like, like you, you see it a lot in, like, motorcycles. Yeah. That, you know, the difference between, and for some manufacturers, the difference between like a 2021 model and a 2022 model is um, they didn't change anything, but the engine, like the valve timing, right. they had to cut back a little bit for emissions reasons. Yeah. And so and to, com- to compensate for that, to make sure the power numbers don't change, they open up the exhaust a little bit more. Right. And it's just like... It's it's fun if you're a nerd and you know, but it's gotta be such a headache for like people like tuners or more importantly in pertaining to us, like manufacturers. It's gonna that's gonna stink for uh people who've got to work around that headache. Yeah. We'll see. I mean But I'll, it's for the better. You just have to keep in mind it yeah. is it is genuinely for the better. Yeah. <sighs> Let's talk about uh oh I, I got an article on so I'm I have an aerospace background, so I've got a very fascinating um, eye on how aircrafts get tested. So uh, both, you know, 
the first flight, first test aircraft, you know, that taking off in their full test cycle of they have to be able to do a roll or be able to just take off successfully, right? So if you go before, uh, you know, previous to actual flight testing, they actually do a lot of uh, testing on the structure itself. Uh, and I've got an article from uh, Simple Flying that uh, there's a video about the uh, 787 and how much the wings flex. So wing torture testing or wing testing in general, it's important, right? That's the only thing basically keeping the aircraft up, right? So they want to make sure that their predictions and what they expect this uh, wing to do is accurate. Uh, so there's one test where they f- basically flex it to the full... Um, uh, Can I actually pause you real quick? Yeah. Actually, no, no, keep going, keep going. Okay. And then I'll talk about how crazy wings are. Okay. Because so uh, the wing flexure test, they... Uh, they go the full range that they predicted plus another 50%. So they want to make sure it's the environment or the uh, sustainability is there. Uh, so in this case, the tip of the wings uh, flex 25 feet. So if you're on there, <laughs> that's almost taller than my house. So now, and this mind boggling that if you're you know sitting in your, in your seat and you look out the window, before you take off, it's, it's dipping down. And then after you take off, it's like, where, where did this wing go? It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And, you know, the article talks about this for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, the material that they're using. Uh, they're using carbon fiber reinforced polymers. And that's a big driver for the 787. A lot of the structure yeah. is made out of uh, carbon fiber. Um, but it gets back into why would you want to do that? And there's two benefits to that. One is um, they're using about... Uh, 50% of the entire aircraft is uh, composite material, but they're able to reduce weight significantly so they can improve uh, fuel efficiency. But also the the flexing, the well, the amount of flexing that's allowed allows for a much smoother ride, right? So if you have yeah. any turbulence, all of that, oh, not all of it, but significant of that is absorbed in the wings. And it's similar to your suspension of the car. Uh, so yeah. I, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. there's huge benefits to that. I don't, I don't think people appreciate how much like a wing of an aircraft does mm-hmm. is it, it, it's wild to think that the wing of, of, of an airplane is the tires of a car. Yeah. The suspension of the car and the fuel, uh, the fuel tank. <laughs> Wings <laughs> have true. to do so much, <laughs> but it, it's the, the 25 foot flex of the wing, the flex potential that's wild because that is like what you said. It's the suspension travel, right? For like you know a, the difference between a car's suspension travel and like you know a, a Baja truck's suspension travel. A Baja truck can like I think make have like something like crazy like two feet of right. suspension travel. As for you know an everyday car that you and me have might have a foot if it's a big old SUV right. that's actually lifted. I have no idea what our car maybe four to six inches probably of suspension maybe. travel. Yeah. So this is huge. This, this can this can handle some serious turbulence. Right, and um, it's called Dreamliner for a reason. So I thought that was yeah, that's pretty cool. So. Wonder how smooth it feels. I don't, I'll I'll never know. I probably wonder if the pilot. <laughs> wonder if the pilots like look for clouds to fly through <laughs> just to test it out. Yeah. All right. The, I think the last one we should end up with was uh spin launch, man. I, I want to know about spin launch more space talk. This is a lot of space talk in the past month or so past couple of months, but I think this is very, very fascinating. Spin launch is, is wild. Like if you don't know, if you're not familiar with spin launch, 100% a child came up with this. <laughs> this was a child's idea and some 
some aerospace engineer on DMT was like, you know, this kid's got a point, <laughs> but like, it, it was, it was as if like a, some random five-year-old was like, what if we shoot stuff into space right. by spinning around really, really fast and then letting go. <laughs> and, and that's basically what this thing is. Yep. Um, now this speaks to both my inner child and one of my favorite, uh, um, realms of physics which is flywheel physics right uh, as, as we were discussing earlier all of the all of the forces the centripetal <laughs> in uh, centrifugal forces yep. are are in you know in deployment with this uh thing but yeah it it essentially takes a little rocket like um what are those things uh that that nasa uses to test uh um astronauts and pilots to like, see how many G's a person can handle. It's, it's basically yeah. a thing it spins around. Right. But imagine that, but instead of putting a person in it, because I am confident you cannot put any living thing in this and expect it to survive. Correct. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm sure you can't. Um, it's for like launching satellites. Right. You, you take one of those things, you spin it around really fast, and then you get the timing and the math all right, and you have the thing at the end that you're spinning around really fast. You have it let go yep. all of at the right time and it just shoots it out of the atmosphere. Yeah. That's fascinating. And then once, once it, you know, is at escape velocity and actually leaves the atmosphere, then it can, you know, jettison its aerodynamic fairings yep. and then the rockets can take over and start guiding it to wherever it's supposed to go. Or yeah, at least if you don't even need rockets if you're just trying to put a satellite into orbit. Yeah. Um, I got a couple of nuggets from the article here too. I was scrolling through it. So one it's, um, Obviously, you're spinning that fast. You're going to launch something in outer space. You're going to hit aerodynamic forces pretty quickly inside the chamber. One little mm -hmm. nugget, if you watch the video, is that it's actually inside a vacuum chamber. So it is a vacuum. It, inside, it's a it's a vacuum. Well, you know, low atmosphere vacuum. So right, right, um, right, right. And then it's funny because it has to pierce through basically a, a a wall for it to exit the chamber. So it's fairly fascinating that the mechanics of it's fairly simple, but the intricacies of trying to sustain something this fast because they're trying to accelerate up to, uh, well, they, they want to get to 5,000 miles per hour and yeah. And the object has to, anything that they load has to survive 10,000 G's of acceleration. So a human is not going to be in there, but I agree with you that, you know, they're looking at launching electronics, uh, you know, any cargo, things like that. And yeah. they, they did, I, Your did, payload has to be durable. Correct. They did a successful uh, test uh, where they launched something and then they were able to retrieve the uh, the rod or the uh, the capsule. So, uh, and you know, it's they, wild. They talk about you know the the cost of or the impact of trying to launch a rocket is massive. Think about all that fuel that you're burning, um, all that dangerous element that can explode at any time. And to be fair, I mean, this isn't super safe. <laughs> Let's be honest yeah, with this. No. <laughs> flywheels are great are a great way of and this is probably flywheel powered right. hopefully it's flywheel powered if not steam or uh electromagnetic powered which right. flywheels are the, the initial charge up of a flywheel is done through electromagnetism yep. um but uh in most cases um but uh yeah when those things fail mm -hmm. they fail right like, like, like people are worried about like, you know, you gasoline explodes and stuff like that for 
engines whatever it's like dude it's a lot better than first off it doesn't exploit it definitely grates but uh it could it could it could be worse yeah um the crazy thing to me though is let's let's talk about this real quick in the video you know obviously it releases its payload at one point right at a specifically timed point so it goes in the direction it's supposed to but this thing is spinning. Yeah. And if you look at like the second hand on a watch, even a, even something as lightweight and as slow moving as a second hand, there's still at the at the you know, at one end you have the long slender second hand that's pointing to which second on the dial, and on the other side you have a fatter and shorter um counterbalance right. on the second hand. It's not pointing at anything, but it's just to help the 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 low torque of the watch or clock's movement turn that hand over a long period of time and with as minimal energy and effort as possible yep this is going much faster than that but it's releasing a, a considerably massed payload right what do you do with the what is the other end doing <laughs> I have good what's question. going on because because <laughs> Because if it, it, if it at this crazy high speed, I can only maybe I, I really need an engineer here. But like, <laughs> like at, at that crazy high speed, if you suddenly just lose mass on that end, right. and the other end still has the same mass, it's unbalanced and it'll quickly it, deteriorate. We're gonna have vibrations, <laughs> and and vibrations lead to heat, and right. heat leads to failure, yeah. and. And and then this thing turns into a massive building-sized frag grenade. Yeah. Um, and and I just I I want to know more about this thing. Now, clearly, they whoever you know, <laughs> they was, thought this through already. The, whoever the team <laughs> the team of engineers that thought this through already yep. did everything right because clearly the first launch didn't fail. Yeah. But and even still, I'm glad it didn't fail. And this is still really fun. And it speaks to the everybody's inner five-year-old. But then the you know the every, every everybody's uh, inner car owner thinks about what kind of maintenance does this thing need? How many <laughs> launches can it do before it needs a full rebuild? Before you have to change oil. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it's fascinating. So there's two things. One, currently they're doing suborbital launches, and the structure is 50 meters tall. So it's a fairly big structure. Um, and they're looking, obviously, to go orbital class. Uh, and the other suggestion is, Steve, I suggest you uh, see where this is and uh, see if you can find a road trip into Steve uh, trip out there. 100%. I want. I mean, the, just the building alone looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see what their infrastructure looks like. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure the power facility that <laughs> is used to, to spin this thing up is yep. really cool, too. All right, Steve, or where can they find the- more info about us? They can find more info about us at amtonline.org slash resources. There you can listen to previous episodes of the Tech Trends podcast. And there you can also read um, recent issues of the AMT News, the AMT Weekly Tech Report written by yours truly, both myself and Ben. Um, And uh, you can even subscribe to our Weekly Tech Report, which is how you get the latest deets on the uh, industry awesome thanks for joining us hopefully everyone had a great thanksgiving and uh bye everyone bye everybody